Praise God. You can be seated. How are we doing, church? Everyone good? Praise God. Glad that we, I'm glad that, I'm glad the snow came yesterday. I think, though, when the snow comes, some people just think, man, I got the whole weekend off. I don't care if the snow goes away. I'm just staying in bed. So we welcome you for watching online. No, no, no condemnation or guilt. We love you. Come on, give it up for those watching us on, online. We love you and uh, pray all, everyone as well. Um, you know, at the beginning of the year, as we are spending this time focusing on the Lord seeking him, it also falls in line with some uh, very serious issues that are near to our heart as a church. And so you may have seen it on the sign as you drove in today. But today, uh, we call Sanctity of Life Sunday here at Evangel. And it's a time during the month of January, we set aside one Sunday where we really lean in. Because here's what I want you to know. We have a God who came to bring life and life abundant. He's a God who loves life, who created us. He's the author of life, the Bible says. But we have a very real enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And we have a very broken world that we're living in. And we see time and time again throughout history, it almost works in cycles where you will see that over time there is a degrading, there is a dehumanization of life, there is a devaluing of life, there are times where some terrible atrocities will take place, where lives are being so devalued to the point of even being killed or taken out. I mean, we saw this, I mean, this is a kind of a bit of a plug for, uh, for this Wednesday night. We have a very special speaker coming to share on Wednesday night at our prayer meeting. But uh, within some of our lifetimes, there was a genocide of the Jewish people that was happening in the Holocaust. And there were people that were losing their lives in the thousands and in the millions of people that were being killed. Their lives were being seen as so devalued, and it broke the heart of God. It breaks the heart of God. I say that because we have, uh, there's a great ministry that we support called Chosen People Ministries. They've been around for over 125 years. And their president, Mitch Glazer, is going to be coming and sharing in our prayer meeting on this Wednesday night. You'll have more information in your bulletin. You don't want to miss out on that. But it's so important because it's a vivid reminder of just how broken the world can become. Amen? Do you realize that? And just how quickly a life can be devalued. You know, there's some issues that I want to point out and I want us to pray about today before we get into God's word around this idea of the sanctity of life. You know, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day where we pause to remember a great man uh, who stood for an incredible cause um, in a world. Think about this. He was born into a world where the value of your life was determined by the color of your skin. Can you just think about that for a moment? The way you look determined how valuable you were. And that was not somewhere else that was right here. And it wasn't in some other lifetime. It was in some of our lifetimes. Someone know what I'm talking about here. And he came and he spoke as a prophetic voice against these kinds of injustices, against racism, against prejudice. And he gave up his very life for that cause. So thankful that we've come so far. But church, there's still a ways to go in many ways. There's still, there's still work to be done. There's still ways that prejudice, uh, racism, injustice can flow in. And we always have to be checking our hearts. And we know that when we see that, we are meant to be that prophetic voice. Speak out against it when you see it. Amen, church? Stand. Be the voice of God. See God's heart in the midst of these issues. Because life encompasses so much. 
Whenever we talk about being pro-life, for life, you know, some, they'll, they'll see that as a political issue. I want you to know that's not a Democratic issue or a Republican issue or a Libertarian issue or any other, it, it, you know, it's a biblical issue. It really is at the, at the heart of it. And I want you to know it's, it's so big and it's so all-encompassing. It speaks to injustice, racism, all of these things we can see. But when we say that God is for life, it's for the unborn, for the orphan, for the homeless, for the exploited, for the vulnerable, for the refugee, for those enslaved, for those being abused, for those that are neglected, all of that. God is for life, amen? And when there are places where life is being devalued, dehumanized, we have to be that prophetic voice in those moments and in those times. The reason I share that is a few weeks ago was a special day on, on the 11th of January, and it was a National Human Traffic Awareness Day. This is a day where the world really pauses to just reflect on this one startling reality. Are you ready for it? There are more slaves in the world today than any other time in human history. So we think back to slavery. We think back to Egypt. We think back to all these things and think, well, slavery was a thing of the past. No, it is a problem in the present. And there are people that are enslaved, they're in bondage in a few different ways. Once human trafficking in different kinds of labor industries and places, people are not there by choice. They are enslaved, forced to work these long hours and being exploited in different places. But guess what? We wish we could say that that was outside of our country. There are even areas where that exploitation takes place within the bounds of our nation. And then there is what's called sex trafficking, where people, where men and women, boys and girls, are being taken into slavery, into captivity, forced to do detestable things. And they're literally becoming like people's property. And it is rampant all over the world, and it's rampant in our nation, in our state. Do you hear me? It's happening right here in our own backyard. And so when we see that, we can't just sit by. We can't just, just say, okay, that's really sad. There's something we can do to be that prophetic voice to bring about change. And we are finding opportunities to partner with ministries that are making a huge difference. And one of those ministries that we've been partnering with um, has actually given us a chance to be the hands and feet and actually carry this forward. We've been a part of something called soap outreaches over the last several months, over the last year. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? A soap outreach? We are taking bars of soap, putting special instructions there if and in, in bringing it to hotels. And that soap is being put in all the rooms. And guess what? Some people that are being trafficked are staying in hotels right in our, right in our neighborhoods. And when they're there and they go into the bathroom, they see this bar of soap, says, are you in trouble? Are you, here's a line you can call. And guess what? People are being rescued because of bars of soap we're putting in, in, in hotels. We learned of, I believe, two people that were rescued through the efforts of our teams going out and being a part of that. Not only that, we bring posters of, of children, of young people who have gone missing that are, they're feared that they are being trafficked or they're now enslaved in some way. And guess what? Every time our team has gone out and shown these posters around, they've identified at least one person that they found, that they knew, that they recognized, and they were able to get the help there and the authorities there to be able to make a difference. Church, that's, that's powerful. That's bringing freedom. It's bringing liberty. It's bringing, um, it's bringing hope. And so there's a way to be a part. We don't have to sit idly by. And so as you go out in the foyer today, you'll see that Janelle's out there, and we have a table set up um, right next to the Missions Cafe where you can have some resources and say, what can I do to do more? And what are some of the signs? What are some of the, the, um, the places where that can happen? Um, you know, we want to make sure we're protected. We want to make sure our children are safe against things like that and some of the threats that are out there. So go out there, pick up those resources on your way out today. The other um, area that I want to lean into 
is one that, that breaks my heart and, and breaks um, the Lord's heart. You know, I, I looked at a statistic today, um, and, and it, it's startling. And I had to kept, keep looking for other uh, ways to quantify it because I said, this can't be the right number. But I want you to know that in 2019, by the end of the year, 42.4 million deaths happened through abortion in the year worldwide. That's more than twice the number of the deaths caused by cancer, smoking, alcohol, traffic accidents, malaria, HIV, AIDS, all combined. More than twice the number. Here's what we believe. We believe that life begins in the womb at the moment of conception. The Bible says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. The Lord knew us before anyone else knew us. And as life is being formed and as life is living, it's, it, it's just crazy to think that a life could be taken that early. But it's happening, and it's happening um, all over the place. And even in New Jersey, there are laws that throughout all nine months, um, basically for any reason, it, someone can elect to have an abortion and, and allow that life to end. And, uh, and these are the laws. And so on Wednesday of this week, um, it is National um, Sanctity of Life Day, where it is remembered the decision that was made, a, um, a, a really a, a, a life-altering decision for so many uh, whenever the Supreme Court um, saw the case of Roe v. Wade and legalized abortion um, across America. And so what we want to do is we want to be a prophetic voice in this area as well. We want to pray, and we want to pray for those that are hurting during this time. There are some that carry wounds that have made that decision and live with the shame and the scars of it. There are those that are in a place that in this year, if the statistics hold true, millions of people would make this decision again. And we want to pray, Lord, speak to their hearts. Lord, raise up ministries, raise up opportunities, raise up people that will adopt these children, raise up an answer, Lord God, to come and to provide hope and, and help in this desperate area. But we also want to pray that God would speak to our leaders, that God would uh, allow a voice to rise up and that we would see things the way that the Lord sees them. I see this right in line with so many other areas where we can go through history and think something is fine and there's no issue. And I feel that in moments we just wake up, wow, racism, that's not a good, slavery, no, that's not a good idea. And we just wake up and yet the world was living a certain way and then it awoken to the reality of this isn't what God wants. This is another area. I'm just praying, Lord, just wake us up and just let us see it the way that you see it. And so, church, would you pray with me? Can we bow our heads and our hearts this morning? Tonight, today as you leave, you'll pick up information on, um, you know, human trafficking if you want and how you could be a part of that. But also there's some great ways and resources for you if you want to be a prophetic voice in this area for the unborn, for these lives. Uh, you have a way to do that as well as you leave today. Please make yourself available. But let's pray right now into all of these areas that the Lord would wake us up as a people, as a world, uh, as a nation, to see his heart. Lord, we pray right now. You are the author of life, Lord God. Lord, and you see any affront to life, Lord God, any impediment to life, Lord God, and you want more, you want greater. And so right now, Lord God, we pray against injustice. We pray against uh, racism and prejudice of every form, Lord God. We pray against people who would be devalued for any reason, Lord God. May the world see them as you see them. May your love, Lord God, come and change our hearts to love the way that you love, Lord Lord God, to see the way that you see. Lord, we pray right now, Lord God, for those that are exploited, for those that are being taken into captivity, for those that are being trafficked, Lord God, in some way. Right now, Spirit of the living God, bring about the greatest liberation we've ever seen, Lord God. May we see in 2020, Lord God, captives being set free, Lord God. Light shining into darkness. Hope being restored, Lord God. People being rescued, Lord God, out of vulnerable places. Do it right in our backyard, Jesus, we pray, Lord God. Do it right 
right here in New Jersey, right in our land, Lord God, and raise us up as a prophetic voice in this area, we pray. And Lord, we pray, Lord, we pray for the lives of the most vulnerable, Lord God, those that don't have a voice yet, Lord God, those that are unborn, we pray right now, Lord God, speak to our hearts, Lord God, speak to the hearts of our leaders, speak to the hearts of decision makers, Lord God, break our hearts in this area. We pray for those, Lord God, who were driven by fear to make some of these decisions, Lord God, who feel there is no other option, Lord God. Oh, Lord, would you speak and would you raise up opportunities, raise up ministries, raise up caretakers, Lord God, raise up fathers, Lord God, and mothers, Lord God, who will be a part of coming alongside. And would we see these statistics change and transform, Lord God? Start it in our land, we pray, Lord God. Start it right here and make us a voice. Lord, we stand together, Lord, and we want to see the life that you have for us in every way. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, church, for being a part of just praying and leaning in. And let's be that voice. Amen. I know that could feel uncomfortable as we lean into it, but I realize something. If we just get in church and we just talk about things that make us comfortable, then we actually live comfortable lives. And Jesus didn't necessarily call us to live comfortable lives. He called us to have his heart. Amen. And sometimes there are parts of God's heart that don't line up with our heart yet. And we let that place, we just let that tension just help us to grow and I want to tell you, just look to the Lord, look to his word and say, Lord, I want to be more like you. I want to have your heart. I want to see with your eyes. I want to feel what you feel. Amen? This is a season of getting out of our comfort zone during our time of prayer and fasting. And I have a question for you uh, today. It, what are you hungry for? It's probably not a great question to ask on day 14 of the fast. I get it. Some of you are like, Chips Ahoy cookies chicken wings, uh, something, whatever it is. And, you know, during this time of fasting, fasting is the discipline, spiritual discipline, of setting aside food, not eating, for the sake of seeking God and pressing into him. So some of you, you've adjusted your diets during this season. Others, you've gone without food for certain meals or for entire days or for, for perhaps the entire time of this fast, you've adjusted in some way to go without so that you can press into God. That's what we call hunger and thirst. We are allowing our hunger for God to grow. But I want you to know that what this kind of season does is it exposes appetites. And there are certain hunger pains that come when you're hungry. And you'll get a hunger pain. And you're like, I'm hungry. I want this. You, you begin to long for something. You know, what a season of fasting does is it exposes the true hungers of your heart. Because I want you to know fasting isn't about food. It isn't about just not eating food. It's about understanding the appetites of our heart and what we really long for and allowing that to change and move into a way that God wants for it to be. And so I want to look today at a passage of Scripture, and I believe that this is really one of the saddest stories in the Bible. And I want us to go there because I think it will teach us a lot about what God wants to expose during this season within us and how he wants to transform us and change us to be more like him. If you have your Bibles, let's open together uh, to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 25. Now, as we're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of background. We're catching up here in Genesis, and this is kind of the first family of the Bible, not the literal first family, but this family that God gives a special promise to a man named Abraham, and he says, through your descendants, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world, and you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as 
countless as the grains of sand on the seashore. That's what your family line is going to look like, Abraham. And at that time, for a man who was unable to have any children and a wife who was getting very old, um, they were getting up there in their years. I'm talking after 80, 90 years old, pushing 100. God gives him this promise. Hey, fatherless man, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Man, talk about God doesn't call the, ch- the equipped. He doesn't call the person who has it all together. He doesn't call the person who in their own strength to get it done. Sometimes God uses the most le- least likely person to accomplish his purpose. And I'm thankful because I'm here waving at you because I'm one of them. God, I, 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 it's not because of me. It's because of the Lord's strength through me. And the more you lean into God, the more you'll realize God wants to do more through you than you can do in your own strength. He has more for you than you think he has for you. So we catch up that God fulfills his promise. He has a son named Isaac. Isaac then has two children, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn child. When Esau came out, they said, man, boy, that boy is hairy. He was a very hairy boy. Um, he came out, he had red hair, and they were, they were like, wow, this is like a beast uh, being born here. Um, you know, I'm editorializing a little bit, but that's, that, that's very clear in the scripture. You'll see they keep pointing out uh, how rugged and hairy this, this man was. And yet, as he was being born, could you imagine this if you've ever had twins? Um, that as the first baby's coming out, then they would normally deliver the second child. They didn't really have to deliver the second because the first or the second one was clutching at the heel of his brother, holding his heel. And as, as they gave birth to Esau, Jacob comes out holding his ankle. Like I want, and it's this picture from the womb. Jacob was always trying to reach for his brother. He always wanted that because the first child that was born got something called the birthright blessing. It was this special blessing that came to the firstborn child. And it's very, very important. And it set you apart above your entire family. It didn't matter if they had 100 children. He was the blessed one, the most blessed one. He received a greater portion than anyone else. He received so many benefits from being the firstborn son. But not only that, he received the love of his father in a special way. And I want you to know, whenever whenever you don't experience the love of a father, whenever you experience that, there's a lot of issues that can develop within someone from fatherlessness. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I, I know what I'm talking about. Um, that can leave a, a wound within you. And the Bible showed that Isaac loved Esau. He favored Esau and not Jacob. And Jacob, so, so mom Rebecca came alongside of Jacob and, and would tend to him, and, and they grew in a very deep relationship. But he loved Esau, and he blessed Esau, and Esau got the birthright. Well, one day, you know, Esau's out in the field because that's what he loved, and, and his father loved that he loved to be in the field. He's out there hunting, and he comes back really hungry. Hungry like some of you have been hungry, maybe, during this fast. But let's look what happens. It says, one day, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived, and this is starting in verse 29, he arrived from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. I want you to know, when you're tired and hungry, you don't always make very good decisions. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I want you to get into the humanity of this for just a minute. It says that he is exhausted and he's hungry. Your judgment's often impaired during these moments. And Esau said to Jacob, I am starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his name. Edom means red. Now, he asked Jacob for this stew. And look at how Jacob responds to him. All right, Jacob replied. But trade me your rights as the firstborn son. See that clutching at the heel, that reaching? This is what Jacob's wanted all along. Give me that. 
Can you imagine, though, for just a minute? Hey, I'm hungry. Can I get some cereal? Yes, give me, give me, my, give me your inheritance. Like, this is silly. You know, this is just silly. And what does Esau say? Look, I'm dying of starvation. Really, you're dying of starvation. You're in your house. Like, this, like what good is my birthright to me now? So he's actually entertaining it. Like, okay, what good is it? I'm going to die here, right at the table, three feet from some stew. I'm just going to die of starvation. And this birthright's so important, you don't get it. It meant financial blessing. He got twice the inheritance of any of his siblings. Twice the inheritance. Authority over the rest of his family. It carried literally the blessing of God over his life. It was his identity. I am firstborn. It was a part of who he was, who he was born to be, who God made him to be, the firstborn son. This is Esau's identity. And he traded it all for a bowl of stew. The most expensive meal in the history of the Bible outside of the apple that caused sin to enter into the world. Second most expensive meal in the Bible. A bowl of stew. So Jacob says, no, seriously, swear to me that the birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, therefore selling all his rights as the firstborn son to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave him some bread. Well, at least he gave him some bread, so now maybe it's a pretty good deal. He gave him some bread in the bowl of lentil stew. And Esau ate the meal, got up and left, and showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. This must have been quite a bowl of stew. There's no, there's no soup on earth that's worth what was just given. He gave up his identity. He gave up his blessing. He gave up his future. He gave up everything that God had for him. Why? Because he was hungry. Do you know what the problem really was? The problem was his appetite. His appetite was broken. His appetite was distorted. In the brokenness of that appetite, this hunger in the wrong direction led him to compromise his life in a way that is ridiculous. He gave up so much for so little. But it's what happens when appetites get out of whack, when appetites become distorted. I want to talk to you about a few things about appetites because that's the heart of hunger is an appetite. You have an appetite for something. Here's what you need to know about appetites if you're taking notes. One is that God created them. Appetites are natural. We all have a longing to eat. We all have a longing for something. We have an appetite that's been placed within us. But here's the problem. Sin distorted our appetites. Sin, the reality of sin breaking into the world broke everything, distorted everything. Our appetites became distorted. Now, instead of longing for God and what he had, we long for lesser things. We long for broken things. We even have appetites for things that hurt us. Think about that. Think about some people would have an addiction. What is that? It is a deep appetite often for something that is going to kill you and steal your life away from you. And you say, what is that? Don't you understand? But it's like this appetite so big within me. I can't let it go. But don't you realize it's stealing your life? That's a picture of a distorted appetite. Are you with me? Do you understand? It gets bent. It gets twisted. It gets broken. And here's the thing about appetites. They are never fully and finally satisfied. You eat, and then you're still hungry again. Guess what? Man, I wish that was an unending bowl of stew he got, but he ate all the stew, and here he was. He had no blessing. He had no 
um, inheritance. He had nothing, and he still needed to go figure out how he was going to get something to eat the next day. It could never fully satisfy him. It's only temporary. You know, I want you to think, and if you're taking notes, write this down on here. Temporary, eternal. How many decisions are we making that are connected to temporary things? And how many decisions are we making based on the eternal things? The things of God. Are you with me? Sometimes we focus more on the temporary and we ignore the eternal things. The things that will always last, that will always be. This is what happened. He gave up his identity for something so short-sighted. And our appetites, whenever they get broken, whenever that gets mismanaged, it, 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 can, it can cause a world of hurt in our lives. Let's just look at Esau for just a moment. What I would say he had is he had a mismanaged hunger. His hunger got out of control. And here's the other thing about it. I'm sorry, it said, I said it's never fully and finally satisfied. The third thing about our appetites is this. Your appetites always whisper now and never later. Think about that. When you're hungry, when you're really hungry, it's about now. It's about the moment. I want to give you a tip. This isn't, I, you know, this is for your financial budget. This is for your savings. Some of you are going to pay for your children's college education this year just based on this one tip I'm going to give you. Eat a meal before you go grocery shopping. Don't go grocery shopping hungry. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You will probably spend, on average this year, about $50,000 less on your grocery bill if you just go, to, go, go shopping when you're already full. But man, is that not torture when you're hungry and you're shopping? You're now more. I need this and I need this. And, I, and you, before you know, you went for three things and you got a thousand things in your cart because your hunger is driving you to reach for all these things you don't really need. That's, a, that's, a, that's an image of something. Are you with me? My hunger is causing me to reach for things I don't really need because I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And it always says now. And it always wants more. Never later, never less. That's what our hunger leads us to. So when our hunger gets out of control, it's never satisfied. This is what happened with Esau. He allowed his hunger to scream now, now. Give me that stew now. All he could think about was the moment. All he could think about was the temporary. He had no cause for worry or thought about the eternal, about his real identity. And because of that, it changed everything. It was never satisfied. The major problem with mismanaged hunger is that it leads you to an identity crisis. Think about that. When your hunger gets distorted, when you start reaching for the wrong things, it will lead you to a place where you will begin to question your identity or your identity will become shaped differently. Think about that. Whenever people in this world, in, in this life, people that you know, they start to develop a hunger for other things, for destructive things, doesn't it change the very essence of them? It can change their identity. Some, as you start to reach and feed off of other things, you start to question who you are. Down to the very fabric of your being, you'll end up with an identity crisis. Here's Esau, firstborn without any of the rights. He's an identity crisis right there. And he was willing to trade his future, his identity, for something temporary. And his compromise changed him in every way. What about you? What about me? That's the real question we have to ask ourselves. What does that have to do with me, Pastor? Here's what I really believe. Every one of us in this room, within the sound of my voice, are one bowl of stew away from trading away our future. 
we're one bowl of stew away from trading away the blessing, from trading away the great things that God has for us. Man, Esau did it, but it's there so that we can know not to do that. And it's there because we are so willing to do that. We're, it's there because some of us have already done that. We've traded away the blessing of God for something temporary that we think will fulfill us, but really hasn't. We've traded away parts of our identity, parts of who we are, because we thought it would feel good in the moment, but it never did. Man, it's quiet in here, but you hear me, right? This is it. This is, this is where our appetites will lead us to broken places, broken identities, compromise, and pain. So what's your bowl of stew? We make these decisions all the time. We want to surrender the, the best for something less. It's, it's just a part of the, the flesh within us. You see, the Bible talks about it, that there is a war that is at work within us between our flesh and our spirit, the spirit of God that's within us. And I wish I could tell you this, that the moment you said yes to Jesus, your life became perfect, and you were impervious to temptation, and you'll never make another wrong decision as long as you live. I wish I could tell you that's just not the truth. Guess what? You say yes to Jesus, and some of you, the temptation goes like this. It just, it just turns up, and there's more war against you, and now your life has been marked. You're marked by God, and so the enemy has a target on your back, and he's going to do anything he can to try to get you off the course of the God's plan for your life. He's going to try to get you off of your identity. He's going to try to get you to forget and question who God wants you to be. He's going to do everything he can, and I'm telling you, some of you are the most attacked in this room because God has the best plan for your life. He are most blessed. You, you think that, you know what, I'm, I'm a nobody, I'm this, I'm that. It's because God has an incredible plan for your life. He wants to do more through you than you could ever imagine. But, but for some, they're willing to trade it away for a bowl of stew, for something so less. God has a plan, though, amen? God wants to do more. Someone say more. And God wants to do more in us and through us than we could ever imagine. So Esau's not the only person that was hungry. Esau's not the only person that had a hunger and was reaching for something. I want you to know that there were others that also had this hunger. This hunger for other things. Think about Rebecca, who had a hunger for her son, Jacob, to really be first. And so she, she started to make a plan one day. See, Isaac said to Esau, I'm going to give you the blessing. I'm going to give you the blessing of the birthright. I'm about to die. I want you to be here and go get me some, some food and make it the way that I love it, my son. And then I'm going to bless you with the blessing of the firstborn. And whenever Rebekah, his wife, heard this, she went to Jacob and said, hey, listen, Jacob, your father's about to bless Esau and give him that blessing. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out into the field, get me some goats, and I'm going to cook them the way your father wants. And your father's blind by now, so he won't tell the difference. You just go ahead and you serve the food. You go over, you say, you're Esau, he's going to bless you with this blessing. He's like, you got to be kidding me. You know how hairy my brother is. That's what he literally says. He says, look at me. He's never going to believe me. And he's going to curse me. She said, no, curse me. Let the curse fall on me. Just do what I said. And what we'll do is we'll get some fur and we'll put it all over your body. I'm telling you, this man was a hairy, hairy man, Esau. Uh, put it all over you. And then your father will put his hand on you. He'll know we're, we're going to run this scheme on him. So I wonder where Jacob got it. He kind of got it from mom. Right? Not everything we give to our kids is good. Are you with me? So he got it. And so he goes and he follows through on this plan. And guess what? Isaac falls for it. And he sits there and he blesses his other son. He blesses Jacob. And he pours out this, this blessing in the presence of God. And then Esau comes back and he's like, Father, I'm here. And here's the food. He's like, who are you? Who are you? Talk about an identity crisis. 
You got Jacob's having an identity crisis. He's pretending to be Esau. He's dressed. Could you imagine what what it would have looked like? You have fur all over your skin and all over your face because you're so longing to be someone that you're not. Some of us, man, we're so into comparing ourselves to other people, and we're putting all kinds of things all over ourselves. We're trying to be something we're not because we think the blessing is going to come that way. That's not the way to the favor of God. It's not the way to what God to God's best. It doesn't come through makeup and through all this other stuff. It comes through being who God's called you and created you to be. But we got all kinds of broken identities happening here. And guess what, man? We still live this out. It's just, it's just all looking a little bit different. But you see the parallels. Are you with me? It's happening all over the place. So we see Jacob. He's, he's, he's deceiving. Esau's deceived. Esau gave up the blessing already, so I don't know why he's too upset, but he's very upset at this moment. He wants to kill his brother. And they part ways eventually, and there's a lot of drama that continues to go forward. But for Jacob, he lives his life always uncomfortable in his own skin. And you know anyone like that? Maybe you've been like that. I just don't, I just, there's, I, I just, I'm not comfortable with who I, who I am. I'm not comfortable in my own skin. And he gets to the point where his brother is, you know, he thinks his brother's going to kill him, and he's going to have this big confrontation with him. So we get to right around Genesis 32. And as he's coming to that moment, he wants to camp out in a certain place, and as he camps out there and sends everyone away, in the middle of the night, a messenger of God, an angel, a man comes and just begins to wrestle with Jacob. And they wrestle all night long. And Jacob won't, won't let him go. And eventually he even touches his hip and gives him a limp and like dislocates his, his bone from his joint. But he still won't let go. And what he says is, I won't let go until you bless me. He's so hungry for a blessing. He's so hungry for more. He's so hungry to be who he's really supposed to be. And he recognizes there's something about the presence of God that's happening this moment. And he will not let go until he receives his blessing. And he says, what is your name? The last time in the Bible that we we see him asked what his name is, he says Esau. And now he says, I'm Jacob. He says, no, you're not Jacob anymore. Now your name is Israel. The whole name for the nation of Israel is traced back to this moment in time. Someone who had an identity crisis, who couldn't accept who they really were, God changes them in that moment. But it came through a season of literally wrestling with God, clinging to God with everything that he has. Do you want to become everything God has for you to be? Cling to him with everything that you have. Don't let go. Chase after him. Don't let any temptation, don't let any pain, don't let anything get in the way of your relationship with him. Just cling to him with everything you have. It changed him in every way. Here's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 11, dear friends, as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. I want you to know there are desires or temptations that are things that are flooding into our lives all the time. And they're trying to feed on that appetite for more. They're trying to get at your hunger. And what it says is, look, we're not of this world anymore. If you, if, if, if you are a follower of Jesus, your home is not here. Your home is in heaven. You're God's son. You're God's daughter. You're with him. He says, listen, this place now is temporary. Your home in heaven is eternal. So as temporary residents here, don't give in to the desires of the world around you. Don't do that. Don't give in to this. We're called to align our appetites to what God would have for us, to hunger and thirst for greater things. In seasons of fasting and prayer, your appetite amps up. Your hunger grows. But my prayer is that your hunger will be refocused towards God because you're leaning into his word. You're leaning into prayer. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. 
Jesus was in the wilderness at this moment in time, and he was being tempted. And as he's there in the wilderness, the devil comes to tempt him after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. Verse 3, it says, When the tempter came to him and said, If you're really the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He tells Jesus, If you're really the Son of God, then just turn the stones into bread and eat them. Satisfy your hunger that way. And Jesus answered him, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. I want you to know one of the greatest ways that you could live and overcome temptation in this world and in this life, the greatest way you could see your appetite come into check is by consuming the word of God. Because when you consume the word of God, when you take in the word of God at the moment of temptation, the Holy Spirit of God that's within you will bring the word of God to pass in your heart, in your mind, and you'll be ready with an answer. You'll be ready with the truth, not the lie that's being fed to you. Because the world will feed you a lie and try to get you hungry for that. And in that moment, it's like, turn these stones into bread. If you don't have that truth within you, it's like, listen, I don't need bread. I need the word of God. He sustains me. That's what God wants to show us. That's what God wants to teach us. Amen? I love when Jesus was sitting by the well in John chapter uh, 4, and he meets this woman, and he tells her, and you can come on up, Pastor Rick, at this time. <coughs> he says, can I have a drink of some water? And she's Samaritan, so it's very scandalous, and some of us know that story. If not, read it. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty amazing what happens but Jesus said, you know, listen, if you would ask me for a drink, I would have given you living water. And he said, what are you talking about, living water? He said, listen, everyone who drinks this water right here is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst again. What Jesus is saying, I'm the only one that can truly satisfy you. That's what he's saying. What I have is the only thing that can satisfy you. It changes her life forever. She puts her faith in Jesus and other people do as well. But after that encounter, Jesus is there and his disciples come and they say, you know, well, you got to eat. They went in the town. That's why they left Jesus alone to go get some food and they get back and they're like, Rabbi, you got to eat. Eat something. Eat some food. And Jesus says, I have food that you don't know anything about. He said, who, who brought him food? He said, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me. Listen to that for just a moment. My food is to do the will of the Father who sent me. Here's what Jesus said. The only thing that will really satisfy me is doing the will of God who sent me. That's the only thing that satisfies my life. I want my hunger, my deepest hunger in this world, my deepest hunger in this life. What would it look like if being hungry for more than food, more than a job, more than a title, more than a paycheck, more than the dream life, whatever that looks like, my greatest hunger is to fulfill the purpose that God has for my life. That's my, that's my food. That's what fulfills me. That's what satisfies me. When your hunger gets that way, it changes everything. They didn't know what he was talking about. Jesus said, open your eyes. Now is the time. Now is the moment. Our identity can be changed forever. Man, when you just get around Jesus, when you just decide to follow him. That's why those that followed him so closely, their lives were never the same. They went on and God did amazing things through them. And God wants to do amazing things through us. But it all comes from clinging to Jesus, having him so close. Look what it says in Romans chapter 13, verse 14. It says, instead of taking part in all the drunkenness in this world and debauchery and, and issues and sin, instead of that, rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. Don't think about how to just satisfy all these, these things that are only going to lead you to the wrong kind of places. 
these hungers that are within you that will never be satisfied. Don't chase after those desires. Instead, put on Christ. Think about that. To put on means literally like the clothing that you wear, that you will not leave the house every day until I've clothed myself with Jesus Christ. I want your presence covering me, Lord God. I want your heart within me. I want you and nothing more. It says, do that every day. It isn't about the one time in life that you prayed and called out to God in that desperate moment. That's amazing. But that was the starting point. That wasn't the finish line. And now it's about every day, just like you would get dressed. Dress yourself. Clothe, cover yourself with Christ. Be in his word. Be in his presence. Be in worship. Because I want you to know, no matter where you are today, God's not done with you. Wherever you find yourself in this moment, God has not finished writing your story. He's not done. There's more that God has for your life. There's greater things he wants to do in you. And I'm talking to someone today that you, whoever in this room thinks I am the farthest place from where God would want me to be. I have so disappointed my family, my friends, my God, everyone. God could never use me. I'm talking to you today. God has more for you. He's not done with you yet. God has a plan. He's still writing your story. He wants to redeem it. He wants to turn it around. He wants to change everything. But it's only going to come through this life-changing encounter with Jesus. Your hunger has to change. Your thirst has to change. You have to stop longing for the wrong things and cling to Jesus. John 7, verse 37 and 38. On the latest and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up in a loud voice. He said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Let your hunger and thirst lead you to Jesus. He's the only one that will satisfy. He's the only one that will fulfill. He's the only one that can change everything. Come on, would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? And today, it's a day of, it's a day of response. It's a day of taking a step forward, not backwards anymore. It's a day of really asking yourself this question. There's a few questions I want you to ask yourself today. And ask the Lord, Lord, is there a bowl of stew sitting right in front of me? Is there something? What is that? What is that stew, Lord? What is that thing that is just continually coming in front of me, Lord, that I think that if I give in on that, that, that that's everything? Lord, show me the lie today. What is that compromise that is continually coming before me, Lord, that I can't give in to anymore? Listen, some of you in this moment, you, you feel it. You feel it like I've already done it. I've already made the exchange. I'm like Esau. I'm so thankful that Jesus doesn't call us to be perfect. He just calls us to come and follow him. He calls us to himself and to acknowledge it. And if we're willing to acknowledge any of our sin before him, he's willing to forgive it. So I want you to know, just if you've made that decision, if you're like Esau, and you've already made the exchange, and you feel right now shame and guilt and other things, know you're not too far from God's love. Know that God has a path forward for you. We see as we go through the story, God blesses Esau. God takes care of Esau. God takes care of Jacob. God changes everything for them. He'll do the same for you if you'll cling to him, if you'll run to him. But I want you, all of us, to ask the Lord because I really think we're one, we're one bowl of stew away. And would you just pray this prayer with me? Lord, I want to hunger for you like never before. Help me, Lord. Help me to let my appetite for you grow. Help me, Lord God, to learn what it means to clothe myself with Christ.
to have your word in my heart, to be in your presence in prayer, to receive from you, Lord God, that, Lord, I won't live the way I've been living, but I'm going to live a new way, walking with you. Today's the day for some that Jesus wants to come in and change everything. When Jacob was there, the deceiver, the one who had done so much, I mean, he had done so much wrong, and yet God took him in that moment and he made him a new creation. He made him a new person. And I want you to know, today's the day where the Lord wants to come and have a personal encounter with you. He wants to come and change everything about you. He wants to come and transform your life, forgive your sin, forgive your past, make you a new person. But that only comes through a relationship with Jesus. It is not by you doing enough good things. It is not by you trying to clean up your life on your own. Give up on that. It will never work. Instead, let God come in and let Jesus forgive you of your sins and let him transform your life forever. So today, if you're within the sound of my voice and you know that you need that, you need that like, like you've never known you've needed anything before, you're hungry today to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You want that today and you're ready. You're ready to give up your sin, your past, your brokenness, and you're ready to have everything God wants for you. You're ready to come to Jesus. If that's you today, right where you're at, I want you to take a bold step and just lift your hand right now. I want to pray for you. Come on, if that's you, praise God. Is there anyone else? Come on, lift your hand up right now. Don't let this be a moment. Don't let fear get in the way. Don't let anything get in the way. I see you in the balcony. Is there anyone else? Lift your hand up high above your head right now, if that's you. Praise God. I see hands in the balcony. If you're watching online, just lift your hand. God sees you. Praise God. I see you down here on the main floor. Hands going up all around the room. Thank you, Jesus, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Come on, church family. Would you celebrate with what God's doing in people's hearts and people's lives? This is the moment. This is it right now. We're going to pray a prayer. We're going to ask Jesus to come and do what only he can do. He's the only one that has the power to forgive us of our sins. He's the only one that has the power to change your life. He died and he rose again from the grave three days later. And through that, your sins are forgiven and we are given a brand new life. And today, as you put your faith in him, man, there's a great celebration in heaven that's about to happen. And so today, let's all pray this prayer from the bottom of our hearts, and especially those that are raising your hand and you're saying yes to Jesus. Pray this with me. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins that have separated me from you. I believe that you came and that you died and that you rose again for me. And today, I put all my hope in you. I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church family, let's celebrate. Come on, lift our voice. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come on, this celebration pales in comparison to the celebration in heaven right now. God wants to do nothing more than to lead you into that beautiful relationship with him. Come on, my prayer, prayer team, if you'll come and stand at the front right now, all of us, let's stand to our feet at this moment. Here's what I, here's what I really believe that there are many of us today that this is a crossroads moment. This is a moment where God wants to take wherever you are in your journey, whether you are in that place of there's a temptation standing before you and you need the victory of God, you need the power of God to help you. You're in a place where you feel like things are going great, but you just want more of God. You just want everything Jesus has for you. For some of you, you're questioning, you feel like God is drawing you into a greater life, whatever it might be. I want to encourage you over the next moment, we're going to go into a time of just prayer and response. I want to encourage you, come out of your seat, come to this altar and spend time seeking the Lord. 
perhaps today would be the moment that the Lord's going to meet you in a powerful way to change something within you. Because all of us, we need to allow the Lord to change the appetites of our hearts to hunger and thirst for him like never before. Amen? But here's who I'm talking to also. Those of you that rose your hand today, you're all around this room. I want to put something in your hand before you leave today. We have a special resource. It's called Following Jesus. It's a book. It's seven steps to begin your relationship with God. Don't leave today without getting this. You just come forward and let any of our prayer team say, I I accepted Jesus today. I I just made that decision to follow him. Can I have one of those books? And they'll be glad to give that to you. But don't leave without grabbing this. Even in the balcony, come on, don't leave down that way. Just come down here to this altar and grab that book before you leave. Sound good? So every one of you that made that decision, come forward. We want to pray with you. Anyone else that wants to come forward for prayer, to respond to the Lord, let's just let this word sit in our hearts today. Let's not be quick to rush out. But uh, if you have to go, you're welcome to go after I close in prayer. And we're just going to make this just a place of response and of prayer and of pressing into God. Amen? Come on, lift your hands in this house. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. You're the only one that could satisfy. We hunger and we thirst for you like never before. Lord, we ask you to come in to fill us, Lord God. We ask you to teach us what it means to clothe ourselves with you, Christ, Lord God, to take in your word, to take in your presence, Lord God, to long for you and not for the things of this world. Lord God, we today turn our whole hearts towards you, Lord God, and we hunger for you, Lord God. Strengthen us, help us to overcome temptation, help us to turn aside the bowl of stew that would stand in front of us, Lord God, to choose the better things that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. God bless you today as you go, and please come forward if you're responding to God's word today.